Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. We were were pressed into service today. Uh, uh, Pastor and I, I I asked him last night if he felt he'd be able to be here, and he said he wasn't, wasn't sure, so I said I would begin preparing. I hated to lie to him. I didn't begin preparing last night. And uh, this morning I, I spoke with him and he said, well, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure thankful that you're willing to fill in tonight. And I said, oh, yeah, no problem, Pastor. No problem. So I had a challenging day. I, I sat in class all day and helped my students with all their work while trying to uh, put together this outline. And I knew what I wanted to speak about because several weeks ago, I believe the Lord had impressed in my heart this message. Now, he knew I was going to need this. I didn't, but he did. And so I, I knew what I wanted to speak about tonight. I just had to kind of put the meat on the bones, so to speak. So we had a fun day today. We had a good day. And uh, it's, always a, it's always a good day when you spend the day in the Word of God, when you, when you study and when you, when you meditate and when you pray and, 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 and you delve into God's Word. It's always a good day. It's by the way, you can never waste a moment of time studying the Word of God. Uh, so that's a, that's a practice we should all have on a regular basis. All right, well, let's stand together as I read from Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to read all the way through to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 2. We read beginning at verse 1 in chapter 5, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the, on the ignorant and on, on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself uh, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared, though he were a son, Yet learned, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. That's kind of a sad note right there that Paul said, I have a lot of things to say, but you just won't listen. Verse 12, for uh, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Uh, For every one that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now look at chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, I read everything else that I read just to get to this. Therefore, 
leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. As this will we do, and this we will do, I'm sorry, if God permit. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you tonight as, as babes, as immature men and women. Father, we, we may think that we know a lot, and we may, we may profess to be wise, but the truth, Lord, is we, we don't know very much about you at all. All we know is what you revealed to us in your word, and that is just, uh, that is just one drop in an ocean. So, Lord, now we come before you and we humble ourselves and submit ourselves tonight to your Holy Spirit, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would, would speak to us, that you would speak to us through the preaching tonight, that you would convict us and that you would convince us of the things that we must do. Thank you for this time together. I pray you'd bless the preaching of your word now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you have ever found yourself in a place of such contentment? You've been in a place of such joy that you did not want to leave. Any of you ever, ever been like that? You've been someplace and it's just, you're so happy and things are so nice, you just don't want to leave. You wanted to stay in that spot forever. Now, we're going to turn to a lot of Scripture tonight, so um, try to stay with me on this. Let's turn together to Mark chapter 9. Let's all turn there. Mark chapter 9. I want to read a story to you from, from, from the Word of God where, where the apostles got to that point, where they came to a place they didn't want to leave. It was such a wonderful place, such a great place. They just didn't want to leave. Look at Mark chapter 9 with me. And look at verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Here they are, they're up on this mountain, and Jesus was transfigured into his glorified state. And Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah and John and Peter and James were standing there. Wow! Can you imagine what that must have been like to be in that place and see that wonder? In verse 5, And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. Verse 6, For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And, and Peter, as is his normal practice, he uh, normally spoke before he thought. And Peter he was so afraid at what he'd seen, he, he, didn't want, he, he, he just felt they should never leave this place. But stay in that place, they could not. There was still much that needed to be done in the will of the Lord for them. 
In the 30 years that I've been in the ministry, I've observed many believers who are just like Peter. And what I mean by that is they want to stay in that comfortable place. They want to stay in that place where everything is peaceful, where everything is calm, where everything is hunky-dory. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to have problems and trouble. So they don't want to go anywhere. They just want to stay. They want to stay at Calvary. People, I've, I've noticed Christians who get saved and they don't want to wander away from Calvary. They don't want to leave that place. It's, it's, there's so much joy when you come to know the Lord, isn't there? So much happiness. I remember the day I was saved. I remember stepping outside and I'd never seen a bluer sky or greener grass. I'd never heard more beautiful birds. Everything was just as peaceful. Everything was just as wonderful. Everything was just as beautiful as it could be. Now, in the text we read this evening, we saw a statement made by the author of Hebrews. And this statement was found in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, where he stated, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, he's not talking here about forsaking the gospel. That certainly is not what he's talking about. The expression here is to be understood that we are not to linger in that that first state. We're not to linger in those beginning principles of, of the gospel of Christ, the beginning principles of our faith. Too many... Too many Christians want to stay in the kindergarten class, if you will. I like to go to the kindergarten class during the day. I like that. Every now and then during the day, I, I, I get an opportunity. I go, I go on down the class, and I open the door to the kindergarten class, and I, I stand there, and they're singing, Jesus loves me. And they're going, ah, ah, eh, 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 ah, ah, uh, uh. Uh-huh. It's a lot of fun. They, they, they sing little songs, and they, they hear cute little Bible stories, and they don't have to take tests. Huh? When you, when you student, our geometry students today took a five-page geometry test, kindergartners don't have to do that. They get, to, they get to just scribble and say, oh, look, teacher. And, you know, Christians are like that. They, they, they don't want to grow up. They just want to stay in the kindergarten class. They, they're content. They're happy to be saved. They're content, though, just to stay in that state, not to go any further. But we're, we're admonished in Hebrews to leave the principles, to leave this, this, this place of, of, of contentment and go into a, a cruel and hateful and hurtful world and go forth and do the, the work of the Lord and fulfill the will of the Lord in, in, our, in our communities and, and around the world. That's why I've entitled my message tonight, Where Do We Go From Here? In Hebrews chapter 5, we read a few moments ago in verse 12, where the author of Hebrews writes, For when the time uh, ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. I've known, I've known Christians, I've known people who have been Christians for 30 years and know nothing about the word of God. 
Sometimes I'm astounded at how people who have been Christians for so many years can come to me and so misunderstand the truth of of the Word of God. This ought not be. Now, life would be so easy if we could just stay a baby, wouldn't it? Wouldn't life be easy if we could stay a baby forever? Huh? We'd never be expected to work. You don't expect a baby to get up and go to work. We'd have no responsibilities. Everything would be done for us by someone else. It'd be wonderful to stay a baby. But this is not the desire of the Lord. The Lord doesn't desire that we stay baby Christians. He wants us, he wants us to, to mature. He wants us to grow. He wants us to learn things, and he wants us to accomplish things in our Christian life. So where do we go from here? Well, allow me to take a few moments tonight and, and consider three things. Three things that, that we should do with our Christian life. Number one, let me say this, we should grow in understanding. We should grow in understanding. Now, as I said a moment ago, when we talk about leaving the principles of of the gospel of Christ, the intent here is not that we forsake the gospel. Of course, none of us would want to do that. We are very proud of of our faith. We are very thankful for the gospel, and we do not forsake the gospel. Rather, the intent here is that we would go forth, that we would leave that place, that we would leave those first principles of our Christian life, and that we would go forward and go forth unto greater things and fulfill God's purpose in our life. He, he stated further in that verse, let us go on unto perfection. And, of course, all of us here tonight, we understand that by perfection, it's not, meant, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not meant that we become perfect, but what's meant here is that we gain a more perfect understanding, that we gain a more perfect knowledge. This speaks of maturity. In other words, he's telling us, don't stay in that immature state of a child. Rather, grow into the into the mature state of, of an adult, of a man. Paul spoke of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 when he said, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And here we're talking about, of course, in a spiritual sense. We do not remain as babes in Christ. Rather, we develop in our walk as a child of God. Now, just as the growth of a child, so too is the process of growth that we encounter as believers. So allow me to share a couple of thoughts with you concerning our spiritual growth. First, let me say this. Growth requires nourishment. Growth requires Nourishment. Turn with me, if you would, now to 1 Peter chapter 1. These are familiar verses. We've, we've studied through the books of, of 1 Peter. And let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'll begin reading at verse number 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22, we read here, 
seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Uh, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now look at verse number 1 of chapter 2. Wherefore, again, I got to, I read the other part to get to the wherefore. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious." I said growth requires nourishment. Now, without nourishment, a baby will die. We all know that. Babies have to be fed. They have to receive nourishment. But you can't bring a newborn home from the hospital and and put him on the table and and set uh, steak and potatoes in front of him. He can't eat it yet, can he? No, he has to start with milk. Now, eventually, they graduate from the milk to the soft foods. And uh, that's those baby foods you find in the jar. By the way, don't ever try them. You know, bananas are okay, but anything other than that, you're really risking some horrible stuff. And, you know, I, don't, I understand why they don't want to eat it, by the way. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty gross. But they get to soft foods. Then... They reach the stage two foods. You know, when we had kids, there was no stage one, stage two, stage three, you know. But now they've got, you graduate, stage one, stage two, stage three. But they get to a little bit more solid foods. Now they get to actually have little pieces of little things that dissolve in their mouth. And and now you you can mash up a little bit of food at the table and stick it in their mouth and things like that. But eventually they can sit down grab a knife and a fork, and eat a T-bone steak. Because growth requires nourishment. And the same is true for you and I as spiritual babes. As newborn babes, we begin with the milk of God's Word. And this is representative of the statement we saw earlier, where we read the principal doctrines of Christ, the basics. But soon, we're able to handle more substantial foods. And over time, we begin to chomp on some more solid foods until we reach maturity as believers and we can handle the meat of the word of God. In Hebrews 5.14, we read it a little earlier where the author writes, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So our growth then depends upon the nourishment of God's word. And this we must receive with regularity and and with consistency. Babies need to be fed constantly. And they let you know when they're hungry too, don't they? They have a very distinct way of saying, I am hungry. And they must be fed regularly, must be fed consistently, and so must we. 
Listen, that's why it's so damaging to you when you miss church. It's so harmful to your spiritual growth when you're not in Sunday school. Uh, you know, Sunday school is important. It's like breakfast. And, and, and if, we don't, if, we, if we miss meals, we become unhealthy. We become malnourished. We need to be uh, in church, and we need to hear the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. It, it begins with God's Word, and it must be done with regularity and with consistency. In Joshua chapter 1, 8, we read, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according, according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. In Psalm chapter 1 and verse 2, we read, But his delight, whose delight? The blessed man. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And, and we must be consistent and regular in our in our feeding upon the Word of God until we grow up into the full knowledge of Christ. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So growth requires nourishment. But then growth, secondly, requires exercise. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And here, Paul talks a little bit about, uh, about training and about, about being an athlete. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 together. And look at verse 24. He says here, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. A newborn babe is completely immobile. I mean, all they can do is just lay there like a ball of jello. They might be able to jiggle around a little bit, but mobility is impossible. But then what happens? Oh, one day they flip over. They learn to turn over. Huh? That's always fun. You know, we're pretty cruel, too, as parents and grandparents. We see a baby struggling to get over, and we're all there. Come on, come on, you can do it, come on. None of us helps him. We just sit there and watch him struggle, turning blue in the face and crying. And... But they learn to turn over. But... And that's such an exciting event. But next comes squirming around on the floor, and you lay them down, and they look like, they look like a little slug just kind of going around on the floor everywhere. Next comes crawling. They begin to crawl around, and then one day uh, they're able to pull themselves up and stand. Yeah, we're at that stage with Corey Jr. He's beginning to stand up everywhere. Uh, then they take that first step. And this followed by walking, and then at last they can run. 
Now, this progression, this growth takes many months to complete. And our spiritual progression parallels this also. We're not saved today and Bible scholars tomorrow. There is a period of growth that must take place. And we will grow in proportion to the effort that we make to grow. In other words, the, more we, the harder we work, the more we work to grow, the, the, the faster our progression will be. Paul writes in Galatians, Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And let us, and then in verse 9 he says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. In time we will grow. In time we will mature. You know, it's pretty frustrating sometimes to a child because they're trying to do it, and they're trying to do it, and they're trying to do it, and they just can't seem to get it yet, and they get frustrated, don't they? You ever notice that, children? They get so frustrated because they want to be able to do things, but they're not able to do them, and Christians are the same way. Uh, we, we, try to, we try to rush the, the cycles on the washing machine. We're in a hurry, so we go out there and we, uh, let's see, well, it's been spinning for a minute and a half. That's long enough. And that's how, peop- that's how people are in their Christian life. They, they're not patient. It takes, it takes time. It takes, it takes much time of study and, and work and growth until we reach that point one day when we stand in full knowledge, when we stand in maturity, when we grow as God's children. So first, we should grow in understanding. Leaving the principles of Christ, we strive to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. But then secondly, there's something else we should do, and that is we should give of our talents. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're at verse 9. It's just a couple pages over. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'll begin reading at verse number 4, if you'll read along with me silently. We read here, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, I'd like for you to look around the auditorium just for a moment. Just look around at everybody here. What I want you to see is that in this room tonight, we have a diverse congregation. We're not all the same, are we? I mean, everyone can't be as good looking as me. I understand that. We're not all the same. We're a diverse congregation. We have, different, we have a diversity of nationalities. We have a diversity of cultures. We have a diversity of of education. We have a diversity of occupations. Now, I personally do not believe that we have all been brought together in this place by accident. Notice what Paul said in verse 4 of the passage we just read. He said, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Why are we so adamant to declare that God is sovereign in in our salvation, in our election unto salvation, but we do not apply that same sovereignty 
to the other parts of our life. If God has given the gifts, and he has given the gifts according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, and if these gifts have been given for the work of the ministry, and they have been given for the work of the ministry according to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, then it logically follows that he has also put us where he wants us to be. As found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, where it says, And the Lord added daily unto the church. The Lord added. So, if we will consent to these things, what are we to do with these gifts that God has given us? Well, let me give you two quick thoughts. First, sanctify your talents unto God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, uh, we read just now, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The manifestation or the revealing of your gift has been given to profit the ministry of God. Why would God give you a gift and then not reveal that gift unto you? Why would he hide it from you? Well, the answer is that he would not. The Holy Spirit will make it known unto you. And the reason that he will make it known unto you is so that you can use it for his work. He gave it to profit the work of the ministry in the local church. I cannot design web pages. I don't, I don't have the first idea on how to be a web designer. None whatsoever. But Brian does. I do not understand the intricacies of the sound system. There's been one or two occasions when I've dared to go back there and touch dials. And it's taken Bob and, and, and Steve months of sweat and work to fix what I did in two seconds. I don't understand the intricacies of the sound system, but they do. I am not an electrician. You would not want to turn on the light switch that I wired. But Carlos is. I cannot treat your illnesses. I mean, if you want me to perform your heart surgery, I'll be happy to do it for you and save you all that money. But I, I don't know a thing about it. I'll do my best. But I don't know how to treat your illnesses. I, I cannot repair automobiles. I used to be able to repair automobiles until they started adding all kind of things on the car, and now I don't even recognize the engine. I cannot repair automobiles. I cannot play those musical instruments. I might be lucky enough to hit one or two notes every now and then that belongs there, but I cannot play those instruments, but the ladies can. God has given each of us gifts. He's given each of us talents to profit his local church, to profit his ministry. He did not give us these gifts for personal gain. Although he allows us to use them to help provide for our families as, 
as well as support the local church, but his gifts are first and foremost given for his glory, for his work. And therefore, we should sanctify them. And, and by sanctify, I mean to commit them and to dedicate. We should commit and dedicate our talents to the work of the church, to the use in the local church, using them to glorify the Lord in his work. So first, we sanctify our talents. And secondly, sacrifice your talents to the work of God. Sacrifice your talents. Unfortunately, I've known Christians over the years that withhold their talents from the local church. I mean, they hear a need in the church, and, and they have the ability to meet that need, but they just sit quietly by and refuse to use their talent where it is needed. I only have one thing to say about that. And I don't, I'm not going to say it. The Word of God is going to say it. In James 4.17, we read, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If your pastor stands behind this pulpit and pleads out to his people to get something done, you have the ability to do it, and you sit there and you ignore him. If you know to do it and you don't do it, that's sin. Over the years, I've, I've known people who refuse to do what they are capable of doing for God unless they get paid for it. I've actually, had people, I've actually had people sit in my office and negotiate with me on how much they're going to get paid for their service to the Lord. Now, I have no problem with compensating people for their labors if the church has the ability to do so. However, I would never withhold my talents from the work of the ministry for money. Whatever happened to being a living sacrifice? That's what, Roman, that's what Paul means in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What a privilege it is to do anything for the work of the Lord. What a privilege it is to serve in the local church. There is no task in the local church too menial. There is nothing that God could ever ask of us that could be considered unreasonable. And may I add, even if we were called upon to die for the cause of Christ, even that would not be unreasonable. Now, what about us tonight? Are we looking to take the easy path in our spiritual life and stay a baby Christian? Or are we prepared to grow in understanding? And are we prepared to give our talents, to give our, our abilities unto the Lord? But then the third thing, as we wander away, as we leave the principles of, of, of the gospel of Christ, the third thing we should do is we should glorify God by our life. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's all... Just a few books toward the back of the Bible, and we'll get to 1 Timothy. Let's look at chapter 4 together. And I'll begin reading in verse 12. Paul is writing here to young Timothy, and he says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come... Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee 
by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I said we should glorify God by our life. Now it is here that we reach maturity. When we live our life in such a manner that God is glorified by all that we do. Now we are admonished by God through the scriptures we just read to be an example unto the brethren. And I, and I, I planned on, on looking at each one of these, but I don't have time, so I, I picked three. And I'm going to look at three of them real quickly and we'll be done. We are to be an example, number one, or first, letter A, in word. In word. Now, here Paul is, is speaking of our common discourse. Our common communication with others. And, by the way, the Bible, the Scripture does have something to say about our speech, doesn't it? In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, we read, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. The Bible also tells us to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, our speech, we're to be an example to to, to our children, an example to our, to our, our, in our community, in our speech. Our speech is to be gracious, is to be kind, and, and is to be encouraging, never corrupt. It should never be filthy. Even if, even if it's funny and you get a laugh out of speaking filth, it should never come out of the lips of a Christian. No foolishness. My grandma used to call that jibber-jabbing. I, when I, when I, would, I would get outside and just make a bunch of noise, she'd say, Stop that jibber-jabbering. Foolish speaking. Our season should be, our, our speech should always be with grace. It should, it should never be hurtful or harmful. It should be grave and serious, wise and prudent, pleasant, profitable, and edifying. And, and, and by the way, this also refers to our written communication as well as our verbal communication. You know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, just sickened. Now, I, I, don't, I don't have a Facebook account, and I'll never have a Facebook account, but I am sickened by what I hear often of people writing things, hurtful things, harmful things, mean things, slanderous things, cruel things to each other. And I'm talking about Christian people. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let your, let your, your speech be always seasoned with grace. Does your speech tonight, written or spoken, meet the expectations of God? And I'm not here to judge anyone tonight. You be your own judge. I have to judge myself. You judge yourself. Is your speech tonight, is your communication, does it meet the expectations of God? Are you being a godly example in these things?
we are to glorify God in our words. And secondly, we're to glorify God in our deeds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, we read, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Ephesians 5.15 states, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And this word circumspectly implies that we walk in the most exact or the most straightest of manners. It denotes walking with extreme discipline. Walking, and by walking I mean living, living with the most diligent attention and the most diligent care in everything we do possible. Far too many believers today walk carelessly with no regard or concern for the consequences of their actions. And too often, their foolishness hurts many around them. Over the years, I've become so keenly aware of this. I've become so aware that everything that I do, and I, and I tell our young people all the time, there is, for every decision you make, there is a consequence. Sometimes the consequences are good, sometimes not so good. But every decision we make brings with it a consequence. And it is so important that we realize tonight that our actions will affect all those around us. And we must learn to be an example in our deeds. So we are an example in word, in deed, and then thirdly and finally, we're an example in faith. In faith. I don't have time to turn to it tonight. Genesis chapter 22, in verses 1 through 14, we read of the temptation of Abraham. We read where God came to Abraham. I, I actually sh shared this with the students today in chapel. But we come to the place where God commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac to the mount that he would show him, and there he was to sacrifice him as a burnt sacrifice unto the Lord. What a what a tremendous example we see here in Abraham, a tremendous example of faith and obedience. God has called upon Abraham to make the ultimate sacrifice. And I say the ultimate sacrifice because it would have been easier for Abraham to take his own life than it would be for him to take the life of his son. But God didn't command him to take his own life. He commanded him to sacrifice his own son. And this being the son of promise, the one by whom God promised to make a great nation unto Abraham. Now I'd like for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22 real quickly, and we're just going to look at verse 3. Because I want you to notice here in verse 3 the unwavering obedience of Abraham. Look in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 3 with me. We read here, now, this is after God has commanded Abraham what, what he needs to do. Look at verse 3. And Abraham rose up later the next week. Is that what it says? And Abraham fasted and prayed for two weeks, considering the command of God. Is that what it says? What does it say? He rose up 
early in the morning. Look at what it said at the end of the verse. And went unto the place of which God had told him. I want you to notice Abraham did not hesitate in obeying God's command. He did not take a week or so to pray about it. He got up the very next morning and he did exactly what God commanded him to do. And Abraham had the faith to know that whatever took place, whatever would would come of this, it would be in the will of the Lord. Therefore, he knew it would be the best thing for both Isaac and him. In verses 7 through 8 of Genesis chapter 2, we read something interesting. I shared this with the children this morning. Abraham, Isaac, and his servants reached the mountain, and Abraham told the servants, you stay here with the donkeys. And he threw the wood on, 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 on Isaac, and he took the fire, and he and Isaac are walking up the mountain. And in verse 7, we read, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am. Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. I mean, Isaac the gears started turning. Hey, Dad? Yes, son. We're going to make a sacrifice, right? Yeah. Well, we got wood. Yeah. We got fire. Yeah. Where's the sacrifice, Dad? And Abraham said, don't worry about it. God will provide. By the way, as I told the kids this morning, God had already provided. There was already a ram up there caught in the thickets waiting. Now, Abraham didn't know that. As a matter of fact, when Abraham got up there and laid his son Isaac on the altar and tied him up and was getting things ready to go, he, he was so focused on his faith in God, he still didn't see that ram over there. And he was raising that knife, and he was about to lunge, and the, angels, the angel grabbed his hand and stopped it, and God said, Abraham, stop. In the Bible, if you read the story, Abraham looked up and he saw the ram. And I can picture him untying Isaac and he and Isaac running over there and getting that ram out of there and sacrificing that ram unto God. You see, all the time, the whole time, before, before God even told Abraham what he wanted him to do, God already knew what was going to happen. God already planned it. He already had it all worked out. All Abraham had to do was obey and have faith. You know, we're going through a hard economy right now, and people are losing jobs, and people are out of money. And, 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 and I don't understand how God's people who have been so blessed can doubt their Father, can doubt that the Lord will see us through, that he will provide all our needs Now, it may not be easy for us. It may be tough. We may have to make sacrifices, and we may have to do things that aren't easy and aren't pleasant. But let me tell you, God already has the problem solved. Just like Abraham, all you have to do is go where he tells you to go and do what he tells you to do, and when he's ready, he'll show you the answer. When he's ready, he'll open your eyes and you'll see the ram caught in the thicket. 
But what do we do? We doubt him. He asks us to do something hard. He asks us to do something that scares us. He asks us to do something that we're not sure about. And what do we, we, we can't see the solution. So we, we don't obey him. We don't have the faith to step out and trust the Lord. And because of that, we miss out on the wonderful victories that God has for us, and we miss out on the opportunities to glorify God, even in our suffering. We need to learn to trust the Lord. You know, some, sometimes I think we as Christians, we think we've arrived. We think we think we're, we're 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 such great people. We're such great Christians. But it's funny how fast our faith crumbles when times get tough. Have faith in God. He's on His throne. Have faith in God. He watches over His own. He'll never fail. He will prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Where do we go from here? Do we, do we remain babes in Christ? Do, do we stay at the, at, in the kindergarten class? Do we stay in the principles of the, uh, of, of the gospel of Christ and don't go on from there? Or are we going to do as we've been admonished to do, to go forth unto perfection, to grow and to become mature believers? to grow in our knowledge and understanding, to, to give our talents and our gifts under the service of the Lord, to, to glorify God by our life as mature believers. Tonight, let us, let us grow. Tonight, let us use the, the gifts and the talents that God has given us. And tonight, let us live our life by faith, and glorify God in all that we do. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray tonight that the preaching of your word was profitable to those that were here. I pray, Father, that, that no one would perceive me to be boastful or, or to believe that I've arrived because, Father, this message was meant for me. And I pray that Others found it useful as well. But Lord, we need you tonight. We need you to, to help us in our unbelief. We need you to strengthen us in our weakness. We need you to, we need you to show us that what your will is for our lives and, and give us the strength and the courage to do the things you've called us to do. Just like Abraham. Just like Abraham. So I ask that you'd bless tonight's service and those that, that have come. I pray you'd bless the preaching of your word. And we'll give the glory unto you for all that will be done because of this that was done tonight. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.